Welcome to the Speak Up Talk Radio Network. I am Pat Rulo, and today I am so very honored and proud to share this special and recent Firebird Book Award winning author with you. She is Wilma McLiver, and her winning book is titled Life Behind the Masks. Wilma was born in Pennsylvania in 1964 and raised in Phoenix, Arizona. She began writing at the age of 10 to relieve the pain of her mother's unrelenting abuse. When she began to receive help for the abuse, she searched for a book on mother-daughter sexual abuse from a daughter's perspective, and there were none available. She decided then that if she could ever find the courage, she would write her personal memoir for other daughters who were searching, because she knew she wasn't alone. Her book is a true account of the unspeakable abuse she suffered. Wilma continues to journal and to write nonfiction, poetry, fiction, and humor. She is a public speaker and lives in Arizona with her husband, Greg, of 40 years. She enjoys coffee, reading, long walks, and spending time with her family and friends. And this is her first book. And what a brave woman we have with us today. So I'm so excited to get going. Welcome to the network, Wilma. Thank you, Pat. So happy to have you here. You know, I used to live in Arizona at the base of the Superstition Mountains. And this Arizona... I'm in the North Valley, though, far from the superstitions. <laughs> I know, but such a lovely, lovely state. I miss it very, very much. I especially miss when it rains, how you get that special dirt smell or creosote or the Desert. trees. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's something we'll never... to rain today. Oh, well, enjoy the smell for me. How's that? I will do it. <laughs> sends them in a bottle. I wish they could bottle that. So good. Well, listen, Wilma, congratulations on winning the Firebird Book Award. I was happy to share that with you. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Where to start? I don't even know. Um, Maybe since your book is really a look into your life, let's begin somewhere at the beginning. Give us just a glimpse into your life as a child, um, just to inform us as to what we can expect with the book. Well, when I was growing up here in Phoenix, I I lived such a conflicted life, you know, just constantly told one thing, but I had, you know, that little thing in my back of my mind with so many questions that didn't quite add up. And, um, you know, I just kept wondering, well, what about my dad? You know, I didn't, I hadn't met my father. I didn't meet him until I was 24. And, uh, you know, seemingly no matter what I did, I was wrong and I was in trouble and, and I, I couldn't figure out what I'd done wrong. I, you know, I tried to do right. And, um, so I, you know, I, I was in a, everything was bad. <laughs> and so I just, you know, you just keep growing up and keep going and, um, I didn't understand I was in a violent household. I didn't understand that my mother had serious issues. I just understood that I was a, in a troubled place. And we did not have access to the resources that are out now. And, um, so I was in a, I was in a tough spot. It was a very confusing time for me. Oh, as a child, because you have nothing to relate it to. You don't know if if this is normal or if other people are experiencing this. It's the only reality that you know. Right. Question. 
do interviews and conversations like we're having right now, does that help you with the healing or does it take you back? I mean, is it difficult to relive your past by having these conversations? It's not difficult at all. I've actually spoken at schools and uh, teachers' conferences and conventions and that, and it, it's not difficult for me now. Um, writing the book was very therapeutic, um, but it's been many years, and I had a lot of help. And so, I, you know, I'm good now, but um, it's it's gratifying to me to see the progress in 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 the communities, and you know, with bullying and the different things that have come up. You know, the, the procedures and the you know, how the schools have come up and the the laws and that. So, no, it, it doesn't it doesn't upset me. Now, I, I help out with different trauma groups and different areas where I can. So, no, it doesn't okay. upset me now. All right. I, I felt, felt a little hesitant to... Oh, no. Okay. All right. I want to make sure that you're okay. Uh, and I know that you... you obviously wrote the book and you had to have given that a lot of consideration. And you mentioned that things are different these days because people feel more free to speak up and speak out. And it truly is because of people like yourself who have the courage to put their stories forward so that others don't feel like they're living or experiencing some of these things on their own. So what you have done really does contribute to helping the, the world and society to, to to realize that they're not alone and to speak up and to, and to seek help. So thank you. So I read that when you were 10, you saw a diary with a lock and key. Tell us that story. We were, we had just moved to California and um, I, I was in great turmoil and, or I thought I was actually, uh, I thought life was hard at that point, but it was getting ready to get really rough. And um, I I never had any money. We didn't have a chance to earn any money. And um, I had to share a bedroom with my mother, so I didn't even have like a private dresser drawer or anything. And so... The thought that I could write and have a place to lock it was just fascinating to me. But I couldn't, I couldn't buy it, and and there's no one to buy it for me. And so, you know, in my my world, I was always having to um, negotiate my surroundings and find a way when there was no way. And so I, that, that concept kept whirling around in my mind. And finally, I just thought, well, I have notebook paper for school and I can still write everything I want to write. And then I'll just tear it up in tiny pieces and I'll flush it down the toilet. And my thoughts will be safe down there. And so that's, <laughs> that's what I did with all my early writing, all my early poetry. Oh. everything and it was enormously helpful to me because uh as soon as we moved to California we had I had two very traumatic things happen and I wrote about um in the book and 
I don't know how I would have survived them without writing. And that was the only way I could do it. And I was afraid the paper was going to clog the toilet, so I tore it in probably way too tiny of pieces. But uh, it was the only way I could get through it, was just write and write and write. And um, and so wow. somewhere, it, that's how I did it. But it was just my way of making that locked diary work for me. Mm-hmm. Very fascinating how, oh, wow. Um, ingenious as a child and and smart and wise you were to say, well, I can't actually have the diary with a lock and key, but I could, but I could recreate this, and I wish we could unflush all of that. And, and <laughs> <laughs> I, it probably wouldn't be that that wise of writings if I could look at it now. But <laughs> <laughs> but my gosh, it helped you at the time. It helped me immensely, and I I couldn't, you know, the one incident that happened. My siblings weren't in the area when it happened, and I wanted to tell my sister so much. And she would comfort me if she had known, but I didn't tell her because I would. I felt like it was my fault, and and I I don't know, you know, I didn't tell her at all, and I was so troubled by it that the only release I could find was through writing. And so um, I was an adult and married when I told my husband. He was the first person I told. Oh, my. So, Wilma, your siblings didn't experience any of this directly? They, they didn't experience it to the level I did. Um, they deny most of this. Um my one brother, Danny, in the book, experienced quite a bit of violence, um, but he was strong and big, and on some level, Helen was afraid of him, my mother, Helen. Mm-hmm. And so there is a there is a scene in there when he was 17 when they got into a huge fight, and we had, you know, it was it was bad, but. Um, my, my, our mother preferred the oldest boy and the oldest girl. And she clearly didn't care much for Danny and I. But she, she really preferred little girls. And it was, um, and then I, I have interviewed many, many people for the book. And come in through those interviews, I did stumble across two other sexual abuse victims of hers. One was a person that was weeping in a restaurant so much that they had to excuse themselves three times to the restroom. They they were making such a scene in in the restaurant. And then the other one um, was a female as well, you know, But so she she had a lot of issues. Our mother did, but I was not her only victim, and I can't disclose those people. Oh no, and that's not mine to disclose. But as far as my siblings not having anything happen, I can't say that because it was a it was a a 
household with an evil, abusive mother. Mm -hmm. They all experienced emotional abuse. Mm -hmm. All of them experienced emotional abuse. Um, In the book, I wrote about one evening, just a quiet evening at home, my sister and I, everything seemed to be fine. My mother flipped out and made me haul out everything my brothers owned to the front yard. My sister didn't have to do anything. I did. Their beds, their underclothes, their their school books, their shoes, everything they owned. And they 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 were in they were out of high school, but they were out for the evening. And when they drove home, everything was in a piled heap in the front yard that I would consider abusive. Yes. And so did they suffer? Yes, they did suffer. Mm -hmm. And we all have the effects of it to varying degrees. And, um, but I was singled out and, and the counselor said that is very, very typical. And at the end of the book, there is a reveal that I found when I invest, you know, I interviewed family members from Michigan, New York, um, Pennsylvania, and Arizona. And, you know, in, in all my interviews, most of them were done in 2011. Um, in, in all my interviews, I found out there was a family secret and and the person I, I, that offered to tell me that said, if you think you want to know it, I'll tell you in six weeks. I, I thought that was really strange. Mm-hmm. What choice did I have but to wait? <laughs> and, and I waited because, you know, like I said, what choice did yeah, I what have? What else can you and, do? And I met them. I drove to the, you know, place I had to go. I traveled and, I was totally stunned. And that, and after they revealed that, you know, I got home way late in the night and I, all I could do is just sit in a chair, like stunned. And it explained why she probably hated me her whole life. And, um, you know, and my husband the next day said, well, what'd you find out? And when I told him, he couldn't hardly believe it. I mean, it, it, it made it all add up. But, um, you know, so, yes, that's a long answer. I'm sorry. But, yeah, I do think my siblings suffered. Do I, They all deny most of what happened to me, but they all were hurt. Hmm. You couldn't grow up in that house and not be affected. It, that's what the counselors said to me. Sure, sure. Oh, my. So... When did you realize that you wanted to put this in book form? Was there something specific that gave you the need to write the book? Yes. <laughs> so I began getting help right after I got married, and, and the help kind of evolved as, you know, I got more and more help. And I was attending the community college, and I went to my counselor there at the town. Ta- the college that was helping me decide what classes and that. And I told her I wanted to do some research on it because I was looking for a book on mother-daughter sexual abuse. 
And so she helped me with the librarian, set up an appointment. And the librarian told me not to research it. She would. So she did, and she could only find three books from British Columbia, Canada, and one in the United States. And they were all professional books for counselors. And they were on interlibrary loan. I could have them three weeks, and then I had to return them on time. And so I took them, and I went over to a table, and I sat down. And they were statistical books. And they were um, surveys that had been given to women in counselors' offices that had been sexually abused by women, um, most of them mothers, some stepmothers, some grandmothers, aunts, but mostly mothers. And in 15 minutes, a whole bunch of the burden and guilt I had carried was gone when I saw that my mother had followed a distinct pattern of women that molest their children. And it was like 57% do this, 49% do that, 37% do this, and I was stunned. And I couldn't believe it because Helen wanted to be such a trailblazer and no one was going to tell her what to do. And, you know, it was just amazing. And I, but she couldn't find a book on, you know, a a daughter's testimony. And I thought, if I ever have the courage, I'm going to write my story. And I, I started writing my story and I found it, you know, it had a lot of ramifications on my family because my family owned businesses in the community and, you know, if I published it with my name and I wanted to publish it with my name and I did, you know, so I had to, I had to consider a lot and then, and now that it's out and it's doing very well on Amazon, I'm being contacted by people all over the country mm-hmm. and and I appreciate that but you know the day it came out I was I was kind of like oh I can't take it back <laughs> <You know? laughs> and um but I started writing in my mind that day when I saw those numbers I said okay mm-hmm. I knew then I knew then I had to, I had to reach out. That was about 1984 then, right? And it doesn't seem like in the 80s that was not that long ago that you shouldn't have been able to find information. It's just stunning, isn't it? That it was just so mm-hmm. clinical not so long ago. No, it, it wasn't in the 80s. I was having my children at oh, that time. Okay. It was, it was quite a bit later than that. Okay. I didn't do anything during those those years. I I just I was getting help during those years. Okay. And I I waited till after my kids were raised to do research. I was I was getting help and raising my kids and 
I was just going through life. But um, when I started researching it, then then I was at the college. Wow. That makes it even all the more stunning, though, that it was even, you know, not that long ago that you couldn't find any kind of um, right information. That makes it even worse. I believe it was 2009 or 2010. Oh, my. Yes. My, no, my children were raised and raising their families. When I started researching the topic, oh. I had gotten help. I, you know, moved on. I was a grandmother when I started doing research at the college. Okay. All right. When you and said I was just taking a communications class. That was the only reason I was, you know, I was there. Okay. I just wanted to do some research on the topic, and I had you know, written a timeline of the book. You know, I, I'd written some things about, I'd written some of my memories and I'd written some of the poetry, but I didn't have the book written. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'd always, you know, I thought, oh, well, maybe someday, whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. But when I saw those statistics mm-hmm. and there was no book out, yes. I said, no, I'm going for this. Oh, bless you. Yeah, when you said you were at community college, I figured, okay, you were born in 64. By about 84, you'd be 20, you'd be in college. I didn't realize that. No, yeah, was no. I married weird. young. I married young um, and waited almost a couple, almost two years to have our first mm-hmm. child. And then I, you know, said about raising a family. and um, And I just stayed home and did that and and I'm glad I did but um no I waited till the kids were grown to to uh do research yes and I you know there you know but it was shocking to me there was nothing out mm-hmm. there is a few more books out now about it which is good yes but you know she couldn't find anything the librarian couldn't wow just makes your work all the more important, like a trailblazer here. Thank you for, you know, having the courage to do that. What kind of feedback then did you receive from your family, like your children? Um, not not so much your siblings, but your your children. Um, they're very supportive. They both wrote forwards for the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's no uh, problem there. Yeah, good, good, good. And I, you mentioned then, obviously, the feedback from readers has got to be tremendous where, where yeah. yeah, they realize they're not alone. It It is really touching the feedback from readers. Um, the ones in Arizona want, you know, I've met with them. And um, and the ones out of state, we do, we've done Zoom calls. And it's it's been really gratifying. So what's next? Any new books that you're working on? What are you thinking of moving this forward? Right now, um, we're we're getting ready to launch our audiobook. Mm-hmm. And so that's our next thing. And we're, we're just not really sure right now. Um, the book is selling in Japan and the UK. It's doing real well over there. And Canada, and it's doing fine here in the United States. So we're just kind of, kind of looking at the different, you know, how it's doing, and mm-hmm. 
you know, I just kind of, it's only been out a year and so we're trying to just assess mm-hmm. where I'm at and I don't really know what to go, <laughs> what to do next. You know, I'm kind of waiting and I would like to write a humor book. I, um, I participated in some contests and stuff at the college on, in the humor division. I, I love to write humor, but I, you know, I don't always want to just write about trauma. Right. But, um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going to go, but I, I would love to continue writing. Well, you don't need to know where you're going to go. Sometimes the journey just takes you there and just follow along and just keep putting this out there. And if you feel like you want to attempt humor, then do that. It's, that's the beauty of life. I'm really enjoying the interaction with the readers right now. I'm just really enjoying it. Yeah. Oh, I I can imagine. It just is very gratifying to be able to, to share something like this and know that you're helping others just through your words and through conversation. That's a beautiful gift that you're giving the world, really. And your husband sounds like a very supportive aspect oh. to all of this. Yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah. Coming up on 42 years. I love that. We need to give him a shout out because we do. <laughs> you need that support person. Yes, I do. I couldn't have done it without him. Uh, well, big hug to your husband. How's that? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> So as we begin to wrap up, anything that we missed that you wanted to highlight today? I, I, there is one thing. I, I want to make sure I give credit to the people that helped me with the healing process because I could have never done this on my own. I mean, I, that, that expression, I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. I can never relate to that mm-hmm. because I needed so much help in the healing that I was embarrassed because it, I needed, I needed the counselors, I needed the EMDR, and and it was necessary for the trauma that I experienced and I am very very grateful to those skilled professionals and I I don't still have to go for that but every once in a while I still check in and say hey you guys you know I'm checking on them you know some of them are quite elderly and retired now but but I have great honor for those professionals that were willing to sit and listen to horrific memories and work with me because I, and, and that great husband we mentioned (laughs) (laughs) because I would not be who I am today with the peace I have without people willing to ride the river with me through that. I'm not sure I would even be alive with, Mm -hmm. you know, without someone willing to step forward and say, hey, there's something wrong. Can we help? And I would not have a normal life. Sitting right now in a beautiful home, my husband worked to provide. And uh, 
I would not have anything because I was a wreck. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I'm very grateful and I give honor to God in the book because he put, he helped me and he put the right people in my life. And I want to make sure I honor those people. Thank you for saying that. That is so beautiful. And I think it gives hope to others to realize that you don't have to go, whatever your trauma is, you, you don't have to go it alone, that you can reach out and that there are people willing to help. And then now you are one of those people who are willing to help. So thank you. It's beautiful. Wow. Well, as we begin to close then, maybe share any contact information so that if, if anyone wants to reach out to you to, to speak with you or to get copies of your book, where should they go? The, the website is lifebehindthemask.com and the book is available on Amazon. Same title, Life Behind the Mask. All right. And it's masks with an S. It's a plural. Life behind. Yes, them. yes. Life behind the masks. We're speaking with Wilma McLiber. And uh, I just have so much gratitude for what you have done and what you continue to do. I feel blessed to have met you, read your book, and to be able to share you with our listeners today. So thank you so much. Stay in touch. If there's anything we can do to help push your message forward, you know I'm here for you. So thank you for today. Thank you, Beth.